Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we're answering letters about whether to reject invitations from friends with filthy homes, how to cope when everyone at the office thinks you're a cheater, and what to do when you suspect your ambitious partner is about to burn out, and you're secretly kind of excited about it, in my opinion. Here to help me out today is Candice Lim, the co-host of ICYMI, Slate's podcast about internet culture. She comes to Slate from NPR, where she was an assistant producer at Pop Culture Happy Hour. Welcome to the show, Candice. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I can't wait to get started with the letters, but before we dig into them, I want to ask you the traditional question, which is, you know, you're never supposed to give advice unless asked. That's kind of like a rule of our society. But I'm asking you (laughs) to give advice on any topic you want. What's an unsolicited thing that you just want to tell people about? So, Janae, are you the type of person who like sends your friends birthday texts on their birthday? Yes. Have you ever kind of forgotten if your friend's birthday was today or tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So my advice probably works best in a bi-coastal or time zone differentiated friendship. But basically, I'm on the West Coast and I have a lot of friends on the East Coast. I went to college there. Mm-hmm. And so let's say you are not sure if your friend's birthday is on Tuesday or Wednesday and you're like, "Uh oh, Facebook's down. I don't know what to do. Here's my advice. Mm-hmm. You text them at 11 p.m. P.T., Pacific time. Okay. You say happy birthday. Don't say more. Don't say yesterday, today, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Either you get the date right and it's Tuesday and you've just made it under the clock and you're like, yes. Or you're early. You're the first one. And they're like, wow, she's so early. She cares so much. She must love me. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, I do. That's really good. Thank you. That's really, really good advice. I actually um, have been thinking about birthday acknowledgements. Sure. I'm just going to go ahead and give my own piece of unsolicited advice. You know, the Instagram birthday post? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, I don't know about you, but I think Instagram stories are a lot of work. Like I have to really focus in. I tend to make mistakes and have to redo them. I'm not always in a place to do an Instagram birthday acknowledgement. And I used to kind of feel like I can't do it for one friend if I haven't done it for all my friends. Right. And my advice to myself that I've recently taken is just to let that go. Mm. If a friend's birthday falls on a day where I have the time, I have the ability to deal with Instagram and I have something to say, I'm going to post something. And if it doesn't, I won't. And I don't think anyone out there is like keeping score or really bothered and I think whatever I do is like nice and nobody cares if I don't do it. So I'm not I'm not worried about fairness anymore. Exactly. And I mean, like, I'm not going to say birthdays are not important. I think they take many places of importance in many different cultures. I am just saying if you are at a certain age, mm-hmm. you have a life, you have work, you have kids, right. you have a cat and you are mad because your one friend didn't IG story your birthday. Yeah. We're going to ask the toxic question. We're going to ask, uh-oh, is it time to break up? Right. Also, final thought. I think the birthday acknowledgement should be in proportion to how important a person's birthday is to them. Totally. Totally. Some people just don't care. Mm-hmm. And someone with like four kids and a husband and a busy job who has never been a birthday week person isn't going to give a damn. Someone who may be single and out on the town and really into social media may care more about that. So I just like make the birthday wishes match the personality. Exactly. Candace and I will dive into your questions after a short break. 
The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I love how easy it is to use. And as a person who can be really self-conscious about making mistakes, I love that I don't have to actually talk to a real human while I'm still working on my vocabulary and my accent. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-based language-driven learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. They're delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com prudy. Get 55% off at babbel.com prudy, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash prudy. Rules and restrictions may apply. Adultish is back. And this season, we're talking about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like book bans. The book banning side. They have an incredibly well-oiled machine. Filling in food deserts. We have three community colleges where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market. And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health. Pressures of school, friendships from romantic relationships, pressures from family. New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Candace Lim. Let's get started with our first letter titled, At War. I live in the top apartment in my complex. I work from home, but my team is in a different time zone, so I get up in the wee hours of the morning. I'm not blasting music, but I shower, make myself coffee, and walk around. The neighbors under me are a single mother with several young kids. Recently, she left a nasty note on my door about me, quote, thumping around like a drunk elephant and keeping her kids up at night. I already had carpet, so I put a rug down in the kitchen. Again, she left me a nasty note. I left a polite one explaining that I had to work early and I already made efforts to be quiet. But no one can expect perfect silence in an apartment complex. My reward was hearing someone banging on my door while I was in the shower the next morning. I jumped out, soaking wet, and grabbed a robe. I shouted through the door and asked who it was. The lady identified as my downstairs neighbor and was yelling about the sound of the water waking her up. I shouldn't have opened the door, but the lunacy of the statement propelled me. I put the chain on, opened the door, and asked what the hell was wrong with her. She grabbed the door and cussed at me. I have never been so tempted to slam the door on someone's fingers as I was then. I told her she was crazy and leave or I would call the cops. Now, we're at a growing war of attrition. Our landlord is slow to do anything, so despite multiple complaints, nothing has been done. 
She bangs on the ceiling if I so much as breathe, and I have taken to wearing my cowboy boots and really stomp around when she does. The kicker, her side-to-side neighbors hate her because she lets her kids blast YouTube videos at full volume and screamed inside all day. I'm tempted to recruit them, but I really just want my life to go back to normal. I've lived here for five years and have never had a problem before. Help. So I think I've probably mentioned a few times on the podcast that I'm not confrontational. It's definitely Mm, a weakness of mine. So even though this isn't a great situation, I'm almost impressed (laughs) by just how willing to fight these people are. Yeah. Oh, God. There's so much to pick apart here. The first one is that there's something about that first note. That first note, the drunk elephant. Mm -hmm. Usually, in my experience, when a roommate has hit me with a note, it's happened, it's fine. Mm -hmm. It usually means that they've been like thinking about it a lot and they just couldn't take it anymore. They put it on paper, post, go to work. However, I really do side with the writer here Mm -hmm. because I have definitely been that person in the apartment complex who like thinks they're doing everything right to be considerate. And yet there is just someone who is annoying you and you don't want to say anything. But Mm -hmm. then you're kind of like, I live here. I live here every single day and I have to deal with this thing. I actually turned to our friend Google for some tips on how to solve this problem. (laughs) All I found was story after story about people figuring out creative ways to terrorize their neighbors in retaliation for making noise. Like, I think there are no solutions here. I'll just give you some of the suggestions I found. Quote, I lived upstairs in an apartment and the guy below me would come home after the bars closed and whoop it up with music and laughing. And I had to get up and go to work every morning. So every time he did that, I would get up when my alarm went off because he had gone to bed by then and pull out my vacuum cleaner and put it right over his bedroom, turn it on and let it sit there while I was in the shower for a good 45 minutes. One more. I told them a thousand times their kid was being loud and their response was, quote, you can't tie up a kid. Oh, which, by the way, is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) That's what parents are for. They teach kids stuff. So the only thing that worked for me was making a lot of noise. I played my instrument pretty loud and also played music a lot and told them I'm doing it because it helps me to not hear you. So people are just kind of at war over this whole apartment noise thing. And it's bad. I've stayed in an Airbnb in Brooklyn where I was on the bottom level. And I was aware that what the upstairs neighbors were doing was normal walking. Like somehow I I could tell they weren't doing anything wild, Mm -hmm. but it was so loud. It was this (laughs) combination of like banging and creaking and vibrating. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like almost lost my mind in just two days. So I can only imagine how bad it is if it's ongoing. And I can imagine the perspective of the person who's like, I should be allowed to walk. Yeah. And it's tough, too, because I was staying in my friend's place when her next door neighbor would just blast Netflix. The walls are shaking. Mm -hmm. And I know that they couldn't really tell. And I had talked to them once. They were nice. But I also was just kind of like, you do realize that like I can hear this from a different bedroom. But Mm -hmm. the difficulty here is like, what do I want to fight? Do I want to fight the neighbor or do I want to fight the noise? Because if Mm -hmm. you want to fight the noise, you're going with the Google uh, recommendations you brought up, Janae, right? Of being like, just fight the fire with fire, make more noise. Mm -hmm. My thing is this neighbor seems to be maybe a little aggressive, a little poundy on the door. So my question is like, I don't want to escalate it to the point where it gets really physical and I don't want to harm any people. 
Also, keep in mind, I think it adds some texture to it and some complication that the people who are being disturbed are the children. Mm. Like the innocent children who maybe they're not that innocent. They watch loud YouTube videos, Mm -hmm. but they're the ones who are being woken up. And here comes my bias as a relatively new mother. Sure. She said a single mother with several young kids. I saw that. Yeah. So this is one person taking care of multiple kids, which... I don't even know how you do it. I can only imagine how frustrating it is if you're having like your one hour of rest in the day and all your kids wake up mm-hmm. because someone's taking a shower at 5 a.m. I lose it if I'm walking my son in the stroller and a motorcycle goes by and wakes <laughs> him up from his nap. And that's like a one-time thing. I do have some empathy for this woman downstairs. Yeah. I also want the letter writer to be able to live their life and take a shower in the morning. Hmm. No, I think that's the difficult thing. Both people here, valid sides, both people dealing with things that the other does not know of, or mm-hmm. at least they don't know the full extent of how annoying everything is. If I was like a little wacky, I would straight up <laughs> say, hey, switch apartments um, and just like get a taste of that life. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This person who's lived there for five years, I don't know if this is the most cost efficient idea, but, you know, there's a lot of landlords who if you stay there year to year to year, they raise your rent. Maybe mm-hmm. now's a good time to find a place with similar square footage, but a lower rate. I don't know. Give it a try. And, you know, there's always the option of an apartment switch. And if none of that works, I mean, just keep living your life. And I would say stop opening the notes that are left under the door and stop opening the door when people are banging on it. You don't need to get into an altercation. Okay. So our next question is titled, Love You But Not Your Mess. I have always been a very clean, organized person and was raised to keep a clean home, particularly when entertaining guests. My husband is the same. However, many of our friends seem to not have gotten the adult housekeeping memo, and it's starting to cause tension in our relationships. In our 20s, it was easier to overlook But now we are in our mid-30s and still receive invitations to dinner parties or gatherings where the host home is, quite frankly, a complete mess. We're talking garbage and clutter everywhere. Toilets black with dirt, mold in the bathrooms, weeks-old cooking splatter in the kitchen, sticky floors, no soap or clean hand towels, and sinks full of old, smelly, dirty dishes. Several of these friends also have pets, which adds to the grime. Some of them live a fair distance, so we are usually invited or expected to spend the night as well, usually on unwashed sheets and stinky pillows. All but one of them are well off and could certainly afford to hire a regular housekeeper or cleaning service, but claim they don't think it's important. We love these people dearly but cannot relax or enjoy their company surrounded by the grossness. How can we preserve our friendships and our sanity? I could just smell that stinky pillow, couldn't you? (laughs) There's just like a used, unwashed pillow at someone else's house just has a unique odor. And this letter brought it to life. Yeah, there's a stain. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of yellowish. It's very flat. Uh I'm going to come on a little hot here. Okay. I'm having a hard time being on the writer's side here. Really? Just because, just because this writer is going into other people's houses. 
Mm-hmm. It's not exactly her job to dictate the state of the hangout because it's not her house. Totally. Now, I will say straight up that, like, I'm actually a bit of the dirtier friend amongst my friend group. Mm -hmm. Someone has to be. Yeah, I sympathize with, like, putting the Roku remote in the wrong place. All of a sudden, it's in the right place. Oh, my bad. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like, I just don't think it is exactly my entitlement to tell someone how to basically organize their house. Now, I'm seeing the toilets black with dirt. That's bad. I wouldn't pee there. I'm seeing, you know, the the stinky pillows, the unwashed sheets. Yeah, that is that is best Western right there. <laughs> but the other half of me is like, you, writer, clearly have a standard of cleanliness that you have obtained and upkept. Can your friends go to your house? Yeah, I mean, to get back to the, the different complaints, there's kind of two categories of sure dirty things going on here, right? There's the sticky floors, clutter, cooking splatter, no clean hand towels, dirty dishes in the sink. These things aren't hurting you. Mm -hmm. Then there's the garbage everywhere, black toilets and mold, which gets a little more into like the illness, Mm. danger category of dirtiness. Mm -hmm. One's unpleasant to look at. One's maybe a health and safety hazard. (laughs) But like you said, either way, I do not see a solution that involves you telling your friends to be cleaner. That's definitely part of it. The other half of me is like, there is a reason that I asked to hang out at like, oh, I don't know, a coffee shop, perhaps a neutral Mm -hmm. place where I do not personally have to prepare for a guest to come. I just also wonder, could you guys hang out outside? A nice garden could be fun. Absolutely. That seems better than this. Right. Exactly. So I'm married to someone who's... I would say that a clean freak and he would edit me and say clean person, a person who's as clean (laughs) as everyone should be. And it actually is a thing. I mean, he does not want to go to someone's house and he really doesn't want to eat at very many people's houses at all. Like if you don't have a what, that A taped to the door that says you've been inspected. Oh, that's so funny. It's really probably not oh, that's 100% so comfortable. Funny. Yeah, it's, I mean, is it diagnosable? I don't know. It's what we're <laughs> dealing with. Like if someone gets a glass out, I've been with him at people's homes where I like discreetly rinse the glass because I know he's going to be looking at the glass oh. to see if it's clean. Mm-hmm. And the solution really really is, like you said, you have to be proactive about making different plans, Mm -hmm. either hanging out elsewhere or having people over to your house. And I would say in your 30s, you don't have to spend the night anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And also, once again, I'm sorry to not be on the writer's side, but if you are crashing at someone's house, you're asking for a favor. Mm -hmm. You're asking to be a bit of a burden, a bit of a guest, whether they expected it or not. Mm -hmm. And Like, what is the difference between staying at your friend's house and staying at a hotel? Well, when you stay at your friend's house, hopefully you don't have to pay for it. They're offering you breakfast the next morning. They are saying goodnight and just like having a fun time. When you go to a hotel, guess what? You pay for it. You pay for the people to clean the sheets and to serve you the coffee and all this stuff. And if something's wrong, you call the front desk. Exactly. And guess what? When your friend is the front desk, Mm -hmm. you got to just take it and leave it. Yeah. And get out of there. Get ahead of this. Start looking for other forms of hangouts. Dinner's out. Going for a walk. Drinks. Mm-hmm. No thanks to sleepovers. Stay sober and drive. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of want to put a little bit of a positive spin on this. I will say, letter writer, the good news here is that you've apparently hid your judgment so much mm-hmm. that your friends are comfortable inviting you over. True. I don't know, Candice, if you ever saw there was kind of a trend on like mom blogs a while <laughs> back called the crappy dinner party. 
And the whole idea was have people over when you haven't cleaned and you haven't made anything special and the expectations are low and you just serve what you have. And the whole thing was like, we need to be real with our friends. We need to be comfortable. We need to not let having a perfect environment get in the way of connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think there's really something to that and it probably would work for most people. Letter writer, like I said, the good news is that you've already made your friends feel that you're someone who they don't have to perform for, they don't have to prepare for. Try to hold on to that feeling. <laughs> In other words, never let them know what you think about their homes. Let me just be very clear. There you go. Never let them know that you think they're filthy. Just try to steer the social activity elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I think, writer, you ask at the end, how can we preserve our friendships and our sanity? I actually think the friendship is fine. I think the sanity, it sounds like your husband is also very clean. So why don't you two guys just go to these, go on these field trips to these friends' houses and just absolutely rant and debrief on the way back because mm-hmm. you're not staying over. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what we're trying to say. Stop staying over. <laughs> right. Stop staying over. If you must bring your own pillowcase and say it's to there protect you, you. You need satin because it protects your skin and hair. There you go. Okay. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Candace to answer your letters, and the next one is titled, He's the Bad Guy Here. I made the mistake of dating someone I work with. 
We were together for about six months, and I recently broke it off when I found out he was regularly going through my phone and personal belongings in my home when he got mad one night and started questioning me on things he had found that he thought were inappropriate and indicated I was cheating on him. An old box of condoms he apparently counted every time he came over to make sure there weren't less. My sex toys, which I hadn't told him about. A couple screenshots of no sexual jokes I had sent to my brothers that he was convinced I must have sent to another man since they didn't go to him, etc. To be clear, I absolutely wasn't cheating on him or even casually speaking to anyone else. I told him it clearly wasn't going to work between us if he couldn't trust me and felt the need to go through my things constantly. He said that if I wasn't hiding anything, I wouldn't have any problem with him looking. I said I didn't see any reason for the breakup to affect our workplace as we don't directly work with each other. He called me some names that all involved accusations of me cheating and left. I stuck to my part and I haven't talked about the breakup at work, just like I hadn't talked about the relationship. It's been two weeks and the rumors at work have started to get back to me now. Apparently, he's been telling anyone who will listen about how I was cheating on him with multiple people and about all of the proof he found in my phone and around the house after he accused me and I denied it. I'm trying to ignore them. But I take a lot of pride in my job and my professionalism, and I hate that this false information is now out about me. Do I address this in any way? I have a strong personal and professional relationship with his direct supervisor. Do I speak to her in a professional manner about his inappropriate workplace behavior? Do I talk to her as a friend and give her the true story of everything and let her do what she likes with that? As your friends have probably all told you in the group chat, you dodged a bullet. Mm -hmm. This guy was, as the kids say, toxic. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the thing about dating at work, right? Dating a coworker is something no one is supposed to do. And also... Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody in history has ever not dated a coworker because it's a bad idea. You just do it and keep it a secret, right? Uh huh. And it has huge benefits. It makes going to work fun. It makes you want to dress cute every day. It makes it exciting. And the flip side is that if it goes bad, you end up in this situation. Everyone knows your business. You're embarrassed. You're stressed out. You're worried about your professional reputation. Um, I don't know. Tell the supervisor or not. Man. This is this letter is so interesting. I mean, first off, writer, I am on your side. I do think he is the bad guy because I'm willing to bet if the reverse happened, you would not be doing what he's doing at work. Right. So going back to the supervisor, I cannot dictate what the relationship is between the writer and the supervisor. You know, at my previous job, I was really lucky to have one that was very, very you know, I felt very open to speak to her about anything, including stuff that was difficult. And so I would have gone to her about something like this. And I definitely would try to go to your supervisor because what irks me is that now we're kind of entering defamation territory. Mm. Now we're entering the spreading of false information, which is starting to come off as you know, it's affecting your reputation at work. It's affecting the way you work. That's a huge issue for me where I'm like, you know, when it comes to racism and sexism and anything with an ism, its purpose is to distract you from the work. Mm. And that is 100% what I think is happening here. Therefore, 
I think it's a valid work issue that should be taken to that type of level of like supervisor. What should I do? Because what your supervisor will say is they'll listen. You tell them as much as you want to. And they will say, we can either escalate this to HR and you can speak to them or we don't put you on any projects together. We get you a desk that's way farther away, different floor, something like that. That's kind of maybe where I would go. But I fully acknowledge that you're not alone in this. I think a lot of times when people pursue work relationships, they feel this guilt when it's over. Like, oh, like I shouldn't have even done mm-hmm. that. I'm not going to do that. And like I said, everyone does it. No one has ever not dated a coworker because it's a bad idea. Exactly. And the thing is, like, I think we all know women in particular who have left jobs because things like this happen because they just don't feel comfortable going into work and like putting their best foot forward because someone is purposely trying to push them back and like bring personal issues into a professional space and that's the other problem i have which is that compartmentalizing is what we do so well but this person clearly is refusing to put boundaries to separate the personal and private and that's his issue but he is making it your issue i don't like it footnote i like how you say his side you're on in every letter it's not just advice it's like judge candace (laughs) (laughs) issuing a ruling like you Uh win um Uh so i actually had a different take and you've you sort of like convinced me a little bit but let me just tell you what i was thinking Mm -hmm. so i tried to put myself in the position of being this guy's manager or like any supervisor at the workplace i'm busy getting my stuff done meeting my goals you know having my meetings, what have you. And I'm vaguely aware of people talking about this relationship gone bad. I feel like if someone came to me to discuss gossip and corrections to gossip, I might actually see that person as less professional. Okay. My first feeling was that even addressing a relationship to a superior at work brings you down to his level, you know? Mm. So I just wonder if this letter writer is most worried about her professionalism if she suggests kind of try to rise above it and hope that people notice that the guy who's going around sharing his personal business with colleagues is pretty obviously the wrong one and the unprofessional one. Mm, I definitely see that. I'm also realizing that the writer had a strong personal mm. and professional relationship with his direct supervisor. Yes. Okay. Yes. I do not recommend talking to her as a friend okay. um, because when you're in the workplace, Sorry, no one's your friend. Um, The second thing is that, like, I actually wonder if this person should confide in their own supervisor. Hmm. Because for me, what it really is about is it is about note taking and accountability and putting something down in the record to say, look, even if I choose not to quit today, but I choose to quit in six months and I realize that one of the issues is a hostile environment, I want it on the record of who created that because I'm sorry, but writer, you can't imagine you're the first or last one, right? And so wouldn't you want, unfortunately, the next person that he dates at work to know that if this happens to them, they're not alone in this? That's a really good angle on it, yeah. Yeah, I'm one of those people where I'm like, you know, 
even if this reporting, even if this file doesn't go the way I want it to, I want to make sure I did everything I can to back myself up. I want to make sure that five years from me knows that I did everything I could to defend myself, but more importantly, to defend the next person. Mm -hmm. And this guy sounds annoying, to say the least, manipulative, to say the most. Mm -hmm. Definitely troubled. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think I can get on board with the letter writer talking to her own supervisor with mm-hmm. like with minimal details, right? Yes. So Jess, I had this relationship. I know it was a bad idea. It happened. Um, unfortunately, I want to talk to you now about something that's getting in the way of my ability to perform well at work, which is these rumors and these negative things that are being said about me. I'll spare you the details, but they're not true. Mm-hmm. I want you to be aware of the situation. The end. And then like go back and do a good job at work. Exactly. Because you know what they can't do? They can't they can't prove that you're not a hard worker. So go to the mat. Do that deal. I don't know what you do for work. Do that deal. (laughs) (laughs) Nail that client. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Do that surgery. This could be a doctor's office. We don't know. Yeah, do that (laughs) surgery. (laughs) Anyway, I hate that you said you can't be friends with anyone at work because I felt like we were just getting close. But anyway, we'll talk about it offline. We've got tears, Janae. We've got tears. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. We are about to tackle our last question. Ready, Candice? I'm so ready. Okay. It's titled, Waiting for the Crash. My girlfriend is amazing, smart, beautiful, brave, unstoppable. I have never seen anybody work so hard or be so positive and happy in the face of adversity. She's incredibly resilient. In the past few years, she's been working 16-hour days, seven days a week on a project that she believes in completely. Now... Her company is reorganizing, and she will most likely lose her job while this massive investment will be shelved and her team fired. At the same time, her mother has just been diagnosed with a terminal illness, her brother with mental illness, and she's beginning to realize that she sacrificed most of her friendships in pursuit of her goals. Oh, and she's in the early stages of perimenopause. I can see the crisis coming, and frankly, I'm down for it. Her lifestyle hasn't been sustainable for a long time, and I'm hoping that this will be an opportunity for us to recalibrate, but... I'm also terrified by the thought of how this will affect her. How do you help somebody who has never needed or asked for help? How do you pick somebody up after a crisis and help them set a new course when you have an agenda of your own? So I hinted at this in the intro, but I've read all the way between the lines in this letter. I'm going (laughs) to get on my armchair psychologist couch. I think he wants her to have a crash. Wow. I think he's hated the way her attention is divided and her energy is used up for this whole relationship. And he wants her to break down so that he can have more focus on himself. So I'll tell you like where I got that in the letter. Here are the sentences. Quote, I can see the crisis coming and frankly, I'm down for it. Ah. Number two, this is an opportunity for us to recalibrate. Number three, how do you help them set a new course when you have an agenda of your own? He's dying for her to be a little bit depressed and stop doing so much and just cuddle with him on the couch. Ooh, <laughs> am I wrong? Janae, that was a read. <laughs> that was a read for the ages. And I'm really glad that we are speaking about this because I too was very confused by the, frankly, I am down for it line. I was like, <laughs> down for what? Right. <laughs> 
I think there are two things that are very, very hard, let's say impossible to change about someone else. The first one is their relationship to money. The second is their relationship to work. If you are someone who like was laid off when you were 22 years old and it sticks with you till your 40s, 50s, 60s, mm. I can't change that in you. And I have to just respect that as the DNA and the code that we are working with. Mm-hmm. My unfortunate advice here was like, you know what? You take her to Joshua Tree and I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, okay. So everyone... When you tell someone, hey, babes, I think we should just take three days off. You've been working so hard. Please find a holiday Monday. Let's let's go to the desert. OK, mm-hmm. there's something about the desert where people love to lose their minds because <laughs> I, too, when I was burnt out, I went to Joshua Tree and I had a mental breakdown. Really? And guess what? what? It kind of worked. So it was like a productive mental <laughs> breakdown. It was. It was okay. because I was denying the burnout, you see. Right. I was denying that something was wrong and that the thing was work. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I went to Joshua Tree, had a mental breakdown, came back. We're better. Okay. And so that was like the first way I was going to go. But now I'm like, oh, no, this is the beginning of a true crime series. For me, there was something a little odd about the first sentence. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, brave, unstoppable. I've never described someone as unstoppable. You should be stopped. Right. I now twisting and turning actually right and also i think um i hate to dash this letter writer's hopes but i don't think she's going to break down Mm. i think people who are this strong or stubborn or unstoppable whatever you want to call it they just keep going and so okay she may lose her job but she's going to direct all that energy to focus on her mom Mm. caring for a parent with a terminal illness is a full-time job her brother with a mental illness Maybe she'll spend some time with the friends she's neglected. If you are worried that she'll break down, I don't see any evidence that's going to happen. If you're excited that she'll break down, I think you need to reset your expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is this writer waiting for his girlfriend to hit her lowest for him to feel his best? Whew. Why? Wow. Why? I mean, that's... It's not it's not a recipe for a relationship that's going to be on like a great upward trajectory, right? Mhm. Because uh one day she will snoop through no she won't, but I'm just saying one day if your email's open and she sees you sent this letter, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not it's not a good night. There oh, are no chicken yeah. fajitas tonight. No, 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 no. I'm down for it would not sound great. Red through her <laughs> eyes, right? <laughs> She's going to fall apart. I'm down for it. Yeah. So, okay. Unfortunately, this writer did solicit advice. I guess we should give it. Um, here's what I'm going to say. It seems to me that a timeline has been set, which is that her company's doing layoffs. There seems to be a chance she'll lose her job. Okay. Let it happen. Mm-hmm. And let me say this. I think maybe it's time for you to step it up. Mm. When she is low, when she is down, when she is jobless, toothless. <laughs> Not toothless. <laughs> what are you going to do? How are you going to bring the sandwiches and the love and the cuddles and the ultimatum queer love into the relationship? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it sounds like your girlfriend is, as you say, amazing, smart and brave. (laughs) What about you? Are you those things? Oh, Candace, you are choosing sides here. Um, (laughs) Maybe it could just be phrased as like, can we just be transparent about it? He could say, I have to admit, I'm so sorry you got laid off. I know how ambitious you are. Part of me is just a little excited to have a little bit more of your time. I feel yeah. bad about it, but can we can we lean into just, you know, like you said, watching Ultimatum Queer Love together there you go. and doing a couple of things we wouldn't have time to do otherwise. And then he needs to ask himself because she will get another demanding job. Um, she will get back to who she was. Is that someone who you want to be with? 
because I think people kind of are the way they are. And I think Mm -hmm. she's eventually going to be just as busy again. And is that a relationship that you want to have? Or will you always be down for a crash? Because I don't think that's a great way to live. It's it's just kind of a weird way to think about your relationship, which is, you know, like he said, waiting for the crash, waiting for things to fall apart. I mean, hey, what if what if the roles were reversed? Would you want your girlfriend to be writing letters about you like this? I doubt it. I doubt it. You know what it reminds me of? Like how some people just end up going on those prison dating websites and they oh my God. they love to date an inmate. <laughs> Because that person is completely under control. Like, they're not going to cheat. Oh. They're always going to take your calls. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's just a certain energy of, I want this person to be broken down so that they're more accessible to me. Oh, I want them to be the clay that I mold. Oh, my God, Janae, that is so funny. (laughs) So, anyway, don't do that. Don't have a love after lockup relationship. (laughs) Those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you, Candice. Thank you, Janae. I know you said you can't be friends with your coworkers. I said we'd talk about it more, but I hope that you will at least come back on the show again. Oh, yes. There will be an application for friendships. Uh, I'll, I'll send you the link, Janae. You'll make an exception. Great. Okay. <laughs> Go listen to Candice on her Slate podcast, I See Why Am I. It's where she and her co-host, Rachel Hampton, keep you up to date on everything happening on the internet. They're online, so we don't have to be. New episodes come out every Wednesday and Saturday. Listen and subscribe. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Brandon Nix. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your Dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.